Welcome to the PEBC Podcast. My name is Michelle Jones, and I am the host of our series on phenomenal teaching. This series is a collection of conversations with authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers whose work connects with the PEBC teaching framework. In each episode, we will explore how the strands of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment all cultivate student agency, equity, and understanding across the curriculum and grade levels. Thank you so much for listening in. It is a great pleasure to welcome Wendy Ward-Hoffer back to the Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. Wendy is the Senior Director of Content and Publications at PEBC. She is a writing machine and the author of five books, including Phenomenal Teaching. She is also the leader of the STEM initiatives at PEBC. When she is not working with teachers and students, she can be found walking her dog, hanging out with her two awesome teenagers, and scheming her return to adrenaline sports. Wendy, it's so great to see you today. Thanks, Michelle. It's so great to see you. I'm not sure about the adrenaline sports thing right now. You're not feeling it today? I'm not feeling it today. It feels like just going to the grocery store is an adrenaline sport under the circumstances, but maybe my... Maybe my zone of proximal development will expand. (laughs) I can see post-pandemic, you back on your surfboard in California, visiting family, tearing it up. That does sound appealing. Thank you. You're welcome, especially with winter coming, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Wendy, let's dive into this. I love talking to you about phenomenal teaching. I love teaching, like talking about teaching in general especially math and science, because over the years, you have definitely changed my perspective and my identity and even some of my own beliefs about math and science instruction. So first question, why is math important? It's like, I can't even believe you're asking me that, Michelle. You know, math is so important. Why is it important? Math is the language of science and science is the world of problem solving and understanding our universe. And so I feel like math is integral to just making meaning of our world. Um, More specifically though, we can see right now how relevant math is given this pandemic. I mean, the amount of statistical knowledge that's helping us keep people safe, um, take care of developing vaccines and understanding this disease and how treatment works best. That's all based on data um, that is critical. And so we see the relevance of statistics in this time. Uh, And just, you know, in our, in the olden days, when we just were all living our lives, math is so important to taking care of our families in terms of managing our finances and understanding how to save. I mean, compound interest right there, uh, that is the Uh, according to Albert Einstein, the eighth wonder of the world. It is a phenomenal tool for saving and growing wealth. So there are just so many ways that math is important in our world, in our lives. And then for our students, I think math is important because it's a gateway to their future. We know that uh, how a child does in Algebra 1 has huge implications for their opportunities uh, to go on to college and higher education and be successful in um, more generative career pathways. And so it's critical that we start our kids early feeling confident and competent as mathematicians and as problem solvers, because, you know, life is all about solving problems, whether it's a busted garbage disposal or uh, a pandemic. 
So, Wendy, that's really interesting because I think you're right. I mean, math is literally everywhere. It's part of our everyday lives. It's part of, <clears throat> I think, you know, the the way the world works, actually. So here's my next question for you. Why does math get such a bad rap? Why do people, quote unquote, hate math? Yeah, that is a heartbreak right there, Michelle. Um, you know, I can't speak for those people who hate math because I personally don't hate math. I really love math. I think it's beautiful. And yet I recognize that so many of uh, my friends and colleagues and even children I know have had experiences as math learners that really damaged their optimism about themselves as mathematicians. So one reason I think that happens is because often we teach math as a decontextualized subject, right? Here are these naked numbers that do these magic tricks that you need to memorize and sort of randomly conjure a solution that um, is not about sense making. And so I think some of our historical curricula that taught math in that way um, really challenged uh, even the logic of our children's minds. You know, you've probably heard this rhyme, who am I to question why? Just invert and multiply as an aphorism for dividing fractions. And yet when you really think about what does it mean to divide a fraction uh, and pull that apart, there's a lot to be understood there uh, in order to make sense. So I think that's one reason is that we've taught math as uh, out of context. I also think Another reason is that we've taught math um, without expecting our students to really grasp conceptually what's going on. It's been more about tricks and tips and procedures. Um, and then I think a third reason is just like a cultural mythology about math being hard and evil and the domain of nerds and such. Um, and I think that in particular is something we can all help our children and, and colleagues and family members to overcome by just shifting their perception of math um, by finding fun ways to, to play around with numbers and, and introduce the value of mathematical understanding. So that's really interesting to think about, you know, just those, the real life applications, contextualizing math, even just going for deep understanding. I'm also wondering a little bit about tracking in the area of math in terms of you're either good at it or you aren't at a very young age. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's kind of contributed to math kind of getting this bad rap or these kind of negative impressions of, of math or maybe even math and science? I definitely think so, Michelle. I mean, I think, you know, when we look at how our schools are set up and designed, so much of it is for the ease and access of adults. And I think tracking is one of those. Whereas if we look at the, what the kids really need, I think students at all levels need role models who are ex successful in different areas so they can look to those peers. I think students at all levels need um, classmates who can explain and understand and look at things in different ways to present a diversity of views. And I think when we track students, we tend to get more monolithic groups. Um, so I think that can be detrimental. And so if we don't track students, I get it that that creates a challenge for teachers of how do I differentiate for students who may have different needs and different strengths and may end up in this in the same learning experience at the same time. And that's where it's helpful to think about the sorts of problems that Dr. Joe Bowler presents with sort of a low floor and a high ceiling and tasks that are flexible, but provide access to uh, a targeted shared understanding. 
So, yeah, I think tracking has really challenged us um, and, and challenged our students. Yeah, particularly in that mindset and even thinking about some of our, you know, adolescent mathematicians and making choices about what classes they might want to take. Mm -hmm. So just listening to you, I'm thinking a lot about, you know, how do we teach math for agency and understanding? You just mentioned, you know, some particular kind of problems, like you said, with that low floor, high ceiling. What are some other ways in which we teach math for both agency and understanding? Yeah, Michelle, I, I appreciate that question. And I want to hop back to what we we're just discussing with the tracking piece, because I think one of the other dangers of tracking is that students, students are smart, right? They know if they're put into the struggling sparrows group while over there's the bluebirds and down the hall is the soaring eagles, like they get yeah. what's going on. And I think when they see that happening to themselves over time, they go ahead and embody that identity and think, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm the struggling sparrow. So I might as well act like it. And the more I struggle as a sparrow, the more that nice uh, teacher is going to lead over the, lean over the kidney table and like take my pencil for me and go ahead and solve that one. And so I do think that our beliefs about our students and encouraging their productive beliefs about themselves is critical to the development of that agency. And so being willing to sort of model thinking for them, talk them through concepts, but then really turn over the majority of the mathematical gymnastics to the kids in the context of a workshop is a huge uh, strategy for building their own confidence. Um, and that doesn't mean they're going to get it right, and it doesn't mean it's going to be fast, but showing some things to students and then asking them to do some figuring out for themselves conveys the belief that we know you are a figuring out kind of person and we're going to give you the time and the space and the support to go ahead and do that because actually that's what math is about is problem solving. Um, so I think our stance uh, of faith in students is important and I also think giving the learners the time and the space to work and to struggle and to talk with their peers and really compare their methods is critical to their growing both their agency as well as um, understanding and, and really being meaning makers as mathematicians. Mm -hmm. So really thinking about that idea of a math workshop in which each and every student is actually engaged in doing the thinking as a mathematician while having a strong role model who believes in that student's potential. You are so good at concision because look at that. I rambled for about five minutes and you came up with this perfect paraphrase. Yes, that's what we want. Math workshop is, is the, well, it's not the answer, but it's definitely my answer at this time um, to this, this purpose and this goal. So, Wendy, when we think about all of the books that you've written in the past and we think about, you know, that, that deep work that you've done with Math Workshop and Science's Inquiry and STEM Identity. How does your new book, Phenomenal Teaching, relate to your previous work around math instruction? Okay, uh, great question, Michelle. Um, the, the secret is that, and I'm letting it out, my books are all about the same thing. They're all about believing in kids and the amazing work that they are capable of doing when we provide them with support, opportunities, 
and something rich and wonderful to think about. Um, this new book, Phenomenal Teaching, takes the PEBC framework, which is addressed in my earlier work, uh, but the framework incorporates some uh, cross-cutting effective instructional strategies like building community, d- using workshop model, incorporating thinking strategies, creating opportunities for discourse, and looks at how those can be applied across the curriculum, both in the humanities, the STEM, the um, electives areas, as a means to really support students growing their own abilities to understand and make meaning as learners. So uh, the other thing that's different about this newest book is I had a great opportunity to collaborate with so many more folks, our PEBC lab hosts, as well as all my staff developer and um, professional learning team colleagues, and really share their thinking and insight alongside uh, research to present uh, the text in sort of a workbook format. So that's another, uh, another change is while the prior texts were more just informational, this newest one is more designed as a reflective tool where folks can read and maybe do some annotating, some writing, some responding um, in some of the spaces there in the text. So um, I'm so happy that it's out, but it came out at such a weird time, right, as the pandemic shut us all down. Uh, but I do think a few people have used their um, solitude and reflection to read it because um, we're getting some good response and it's already on to its second printing. That is so exciting. And, you know, as a person who owns the book, I have to say that I do really, really appreciate not only the voice and passion and the information within the text, but those opportunities to stop and reflect, to do a little jotting. I love that interactive piece. And like you said, the timing was unfortunate because it was right before the pandemic, but in some ways it was very fortunate because it does provide an opportunity for reflection and slowing down. So we can't, you know, we'd be remiss not to talk a little bit about those instructional strategies that you write about in Phenomenal Teaching in today's classrooms. You know, here in Colorado, we have seen schools that have been in person or a hybrid for most of the year, and they have just had to shift and go back to some kind of virtual and remote teaching. We have other districts that have been remote or virtual the entire time. We have some teachers who are doing conjunction teaching when they have some kids in the room and some kids at home. I know that you have been working many, 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 many hours a week supporting teachers and leaders. So if we're thinking about kind of that idea of applying those instructional best practices of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment, what are you figuring out about this virtual space? Yeah, Michelle, my heart just bursts with gratitude right now for all the teachers in the world, literally, who have done just an amazing job of transforming their instructional work to make it available to our students in these really, as you described, really unique and unusual settings. So as a parent, I just want to thank every educator out there um, for the pivot that they've all performed in literally no time. So mm-hmm. uh, that's one thing I would say. Uh, with regard to phenomenal teaching, I really see that we're asking more of our kids than we've ever asked before. We're asking them to be more motivated than they've ever been before because all of a sudden they ha- they're they sitting alone and many of them in their room with their device and there's the lure of um, 
among us over there and their YouTube and so many other things. And yet we're asking them to really sustain their focus on the one screen where their teacher and classmates may be showing up. And so I think with that request, the community of that class is so critically important that I'm seeing educators who really um, reach out and strive to connect with students, help them feel seen and heard and included in the conversation um, is what's drawing students in to participate right now. Uh, I've recently been working with an amazing teacher, Victoria Serna, out in Aurora West uh, here, and she, like nobody's business, gets those kids engaged. And part of it is just her cheer and her personality, but also part of it is just her positivity and the way she conveys her confidence in each student as they share their ideas. Not that they're always correct, but just that she's always willing to be there, embrace their thinking, embrace their effort, and cheer them forward. Um, so th I think that's one area is just the critical role of community. Uh, the other strand of the teaching framework that I think is highly relevant right now is this idea of workshop and student independence and mm -hmm. scaffolding towards that independence. Uh, I know I've observed with my own children at home that just sort of being assigned a task and then expected to go do, go do that thing um, and then submit it to somewhere online hasn't always been most supportive to them. And yet um, when teachers do slow it down and present some instruction, some guidance, some scaffolding, and then turn the work over to the, to the students um, in the form of a workshop with some opportunities to confer and interact and get, give and receive feedback, um, I see my own children as well as children in the schools I serve um, really having more access and, and being more successful with their independence, because I mean, independence is is a challenge at any level. Um, and right now, under these circumstances, we're really demanding so much. Um, my own children are upstairs right now, hopefully doing their biology and speech and debate. But you know, I don't know. I, I'm not there, and their teacher's not really there either um, to watch them. And I know that's true of millions of students as we speak. Is um, we we are trusting them, and we need to trust them. But we also need to teach them those skills for self-regulation so that um, they can make the most of their learning. Um, so those are a couple ideas, Michelle. Um, and then, you know, there's all the tech tools and tricks and tips. But I really think, you know, motivation as part of community and workshop to support independence are key moves. It's really interesting, too, to think about that idea of you know, self-regulation and independence, but also thinking about workshop as more than just a structure. Because the way you described workshop, it was also a system and a stance. It was scaffolding for kids, and then it was also being able to really support, offer feedback, interact, all with a meaningful task. So when we think about, you know, virtual learning, and we think about all the opportunities that kids have for interactions with, with their teachers and with each other, I really appreciate thinking about those two strands. It feels really meaningful and that's something I could kind of get my teeth around and, and be intentional about. I agree, Michelle. I mean, each, I think each strand is important and also those strands are interdependent. And so when we work to elevate one, we 
we grow in other ways. You know, there's a relationship between motivation and independence, of course. There's a relationship between community and workshop. There's a relationship between discourse and engagement. And so all these elements of the teaching framework um, can be incorporated to support success right now. Um, I was just working with Moker yesterday, actually, around um, an event that we're planning, the Virtual Math Institute coming up next month. And we were we ended up in a conversation about the tech tools that we want to use, and should we use Jamboard, and should we use Google a Doc, or should we use Padlet, and all these different things. And I know that's a conversation that so many teachers are having right now. And um, we ended on the idea that it's not about you know throwing a bunch of bells and whistles out there to learners, but more um, using what really works and keeping things simple. And I, I see teachers really making progress in that regard as well. I think at the beginning of this pandemic, we all just blew up our um, hard drives with all kinds of new gadgets and gizmos. But it's not about the gizmos. It's about, you know, caring about our students, designing appropriate challenges for them, and then really winning their interests right now. Absolutely. So as we wrap up, you mentioned the Math Institute, and I know that not only are you an author and an instructional coach, you also present um, a, in a lot of different ways for adult learners, providing professional development in that area. Do you want to share a little bit about what you have coming up in that area before we wrap up today? Absolutely, Michelle. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, I have been learning so many things about doing my job remotely, as I know so many folks have. Um, so part of my job, as Michelle described, is writing about wonderful and amazing teachers, as well as providing professional learning events. So starting in December, I think it's the 7th, it's Thursday, we are going to have our first ever virtual math institute. Um, we've previously offered a PBC math institute about um, workshop thinking strategies and discourse and how to offer that to math learners at all levels. But this year, we're having a very unique special event thinking about those same goals, but how do we do it virtually? So that's starting, and it will be on four different afternoons. The idea is um, we may not be able to get a sub or may not want to spend all day in professional learning, but it can be done after school. So that's coming up. And then the other thing that's coming up, Michelle, you and I have been working together on these asynchronous Canvas courses about the strands of the PEBC teaching framework. And so starting in January, we'll be launching um, four of those courses, one on workshop, one on thinking strategies, one on discourse, and one on phenomenal remote teaching. And so each of those courses is 12 weeks in length with new modules released every two weeks, but designed so that a teacher could just dive in and out of the, each module at their leisure. Maybe, you know, if an hour here while the kids are at ballet. Oh, no, there's no ballet. Sorry. Um, maybe while the kids are in bed or playing Xbox or whenever it works, um, teachers could pop in and out and, and do some professional learning. Um, you know, to increase their own knowledge and skills. But also, you know, if you're one of those folks that's renewing your license soon, these are some fun ways um, that you can uh, consider the PEBC teaching framework, as well as get to know a few of our lab hosts and friends through some little videos and other 
uh, diverse presentations. Mm. So yeah, we would love to have you join us for any of those events, as well as there's all kinds of stuff on the PEBC website. We have Facilitation Institute coming up, a Thinking Strategies Institute that talks about the thinking strategies across the curriculum. I know Annie and Stevie are cooking up an, a writing institute online. So, so much uh, to learn. And um, we invite you to join us for any of those. Wendy, I so appreciate you. You are optimistic and passionate and creative and flexible. And, you know, just our conversation today, I know I'm going to walk away looking at the whole day through the lens of a mathematician. I think everything I'm going to see is going to relate to math and numbers and patterns and figuring out problems. So thank you for that. And then I think, you know, our conversation about just the math agency and math understanding and what are some moves we can take in our brick and mortar classrooms and our virtual classrooms. So thank you. Michelle, I'm so delighted to have had this opportunity to chat with you. It's always my joy to talk about math and teaching and learning. And my greatest hope is that any educator that listened in um, just goes forward with energy and enthusiasm. You are so important. You are so important to our students. You are so important to our communities. And we're asking so much of you right now. And we at PEBC so believe in you and send you our best wishes and deepest gratitude for your work. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you. Have a great mathematical day. <laughs> I will. Thank you for joining us today. We hope our time together provided inspiration and information. In closing, PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Phenomenal Teaching by Wendy Wardhofer. We now provide customized virtual and on-site professional development, coaching, institutes, and digital courses. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org.